Father, we thank you for being so generous to us and not only giving us Jesus, but also describing him to us, having him written about and declared so that we might put our eyes on him and follow him and and be saved and and then be with him. Uh, Lord, we pray that we'd be drawn towards him, that we'd fall in love with him, that we would desire him. Lord, we pray that as the scripture says, that everything that entangles us, the sin that, that likes to cling, Lord, that it would it would be taken off and put away and that we would just strive after Jesus. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning. I pray that you would guide my mind and my heart and my lips to only speak what you've ordained for this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Just to give us some reference as to what's going on as we come into Luke chapter 19. Uh, just before this, Jesus is traveling and he's traveling on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus had made many trips to Jerusalem throughout his life, but this is the last trip that he will make to Jerusalem. And there are several Things have been happening on the way as he's going there. In fact, in the chapter just previous was that famous story of Jesus and the rich young ruler where the young man comes up to him and he, it looks like he's got everything together. He's been doing all the things he's supposed to. And Jesus says, one more thing I need you to do. I need you to sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler has to turn away and walk because he was not dedicated to Jesus. He was not following Jesus. So that's just happened. That's familiar. And Jesus continues on towards Jerusalem, ultimately knowing that it's at Jerusalem where he is going to be crucified where, uh, by the religious leaders that he will resurrect and that he will be a king. So he also has been giving that as a prophetic word to his people. And so as they're traveling to Jerusalem, that's when we get to um, chapter 19. He just healed uh, a blind beggar outside of the city of Jericho. Jericho was on the border of Israel, so he's just coming in and through as he heals this blind beggar, and now he's entering into Jericho. That's where we pick up the story, one that I know that you are probably familiar with, but let's read it together. It says in chapter 19, verse 1, that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Again, we're all probably familiar with Jericho, most of us will probably recognize it as that ancient, ancient city way back in the Old Testament when Joshua and the Israelites were uh, at the end of the Exodus. They enter into the promised land and there was this big fortress city. And the Lord says, this is the way I want you to conquer the city and fight it. You're going to go and march around it every day. And on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. And then at the end of that, you're going to blow the horns and shout out loud. And the whole thing's just going to fall down. And that was Jericho. We know that story out of Jericho came a woman. She had helped the spies. And so as a result, the Lord saved her, gave her faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about her. Her name was Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She ends up marrying one of the Israelites. And that's important because Rahab is the great, 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 grandmother of Jesus. And so Jesus's great, 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 grandma, he had family that had been in Jericho before it was destroyed, but now he's entering back into Jericho after it's been rebuilt. So you can see there's probably a lot of heart emotion for Jesus as he enters into Jericho, knowing that he has family ties there way, way back. But now he's entering in. It's been rebuilt. But even though it's built back up, there still are people there who need saving. So he's coming into Jericho, this ancient city that's been rebuilt. And it says he was passing through. In verse 2, it says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So we've heard of Zacchaeus, this man who um, a lot of people in that day had heard of, too. He had a job that many people despised. In fact, just as we just talked about Rahab, the prostitute, 
whoever was a tax collector was often lumped together with the prostitutes as the social outcasts. These are the sinners. These are the worst of the people. And prostitutes, we kind of know why people would look at them and look down on them. But tax collectors, for their background, it was like selling out your family. Rome was the enemy country that had overtaken Israel, and they had hired Jewish people to take taxes from the Israelites. So an Israelite taking taxes from an Israelite, and nobody really likes people who work for the IRS, but especially when that person is robbing you as family. These tax collectors would charge far and above what they were supposed to and rip off people. So when you have a family member ripping off family member, it really hurts. I remember uh, back in Seattle, there was, you know, it's baseball season and opening day just started. So I've kind of got a little bit of baseball on the mind. And uh, back in Seattle, there was a young prospect that came up through the Seattle farm system. And he was awesome. He was unbelievable. And you'd go watch him and this young guy. I mean, he was he was smacking home runs over the wall. He was defensively. He was incredible and just he was awesome. And so here he comes and Seattle was getting good as a baseball team. And there came a time when his contract came up and Seattle came and offered him this big old contract of millions and millions of dollars. But a team in the same division came to him and offered him the biggest contract in the history of baseball. And he went to the other team. How did the people of Seattle feel about this guy? Not good. He was the local tax collector, okay? He was the, nobody liked him. And so I was actually at the game when he came back with the other team and played in Seattle for the first time. They call his name to come to the plate. He walks up to the plate. What do you think the reception was? Cheers for all the times he had hit home runs, all the times that he had made the out. No, it was boo. And what was more funny was that people had gotten play money and they all cast it out of the bleachers. And so it was confetti money just coming down. And it was a reaction of, we can't stand you. You sold us out. We gave everything we had. We loved you. And then you walked and you went to the enemy. And that's the same way they would have looked at the Zacchaeus. You're just all about money. That's all you can. You didn't care about us. You care about Rome. You care about. And it's not only that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. What did it say? He was a chief tax collector so he was the tax collector in charge of other tax collectors which means he was the richest of tax collectors he completely sold out and nobody liked him that's probably why as jesus is coming in it says that he is coming with a crowd there had been a crowd lots of people who would love to see his miracles lots of people who have heard his teaching they've all gathered around jesus they're in fact traveling with him towards jerusalem here comes the crowd and who's not in the crowd zacchaeus And so here he was, Zacchaeus, the rich man, alone in many ways, despite having money, despite having a job. And verse three says, and he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see uh, who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. Um, This means he was short. Estimates have it that he was probably under five feet tall, according to how tall people were back in that area at that time. So he was a very short man. And with with all the crowds coming, he couldn't quite see him. But he wanted to gaze at Jesus. He wanted to seek him out. He wanted to see who this guy was. He had heard all the stories. So 
He runs on ahead. He may not have been tall, but apparently he was fast. He runs on ahead and he climbs up into the sycamore tree, which is actually a tree that is related to a fig tree. So if some of you had fig trees, um, it's somewhat related to that, but they were quite big back, the, the ones that they're talking about. So he climbs up in there because he was trying to elevate himself. Here's a man physically small of stature who is trying to elevate himself to get in a way, a, a, a line of sight to Jesus. I just want to see him. I want to see what he's about. I, I, I want to get a gaze at him. And I can't do that among the crowd, so I'm just going to go climb the tree. So he goes and gets up in the tree. And here comes Jesus. It says in verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. Now that would have been miraculous because there's a big old crowd and yet Jesus comes through, stops at his tree, looks up as it doesn't say, hey, dude. He doesn't stop and say, sir. He doesn't stop and say, y'all. He calls him by his name. He stops and he says, Zacchaeus. I think there's a little bit of importance that we as an English audience can't recognize because the name Zacchaeus means pure. So he stands below the tree, Jesus does, and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, pure. Come on down. I'm going to your house. Now, if you're Zacchaeus and you're sitting in that tree and you know the people that you've robbed. And you know the people that you had to lie to. You know all the bad things that you've done. And you have Jesus looking at you saying, Pierre, how do you feel? When you have done something wrong and somebody stands before you and, and, and they think that you've done right, but you kind of know you've done something wrong. How's that feel? Oh, man, there's guilt, isn't there? His name wasn't identifying what was actually occurring in his heart. I think Zacchaeus said, I'd actually like a bit of that. I'd love some purity. I'd love some help getting rid of this guilt. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. You're, you're going to show me some hospitality. I'm going to come stay with you. I'm going to eat with you. Zacchaeus, I love his response. Verse 6 says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He's marked by joy. Jesus is coming to my house. He called me out of the tree. I don't have to see him from a high level. I, I got down. And now he's eaten at my table and I'm filled with joy. But guess what? The rest of the crowd, not full of joy. It says here in the next verse, verse seven. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus is over the moon. None of the crowd likes it. This is the guy. Hey, we have been walking with him for miles. This guy gets in a tree. And Jesus, did you know he's a tax collector? I mean, he's as good as the prostitutes. You, he what? Jesus is helping who? Verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold, four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save 
the lost. This is important because up to this point, there is nothing about Zacchaeus that justifies him not only being with Jesus, but being saved by Jesus. Nothing that he had ever done. He had sold out the people. And also when Jesus looked at him, he's a sinner sitting in a tree. That's all he was, even though he had tried to elevate himself. But Jesus calls him and they sit and they dine. They had this intimate moment together where Zacchaeus had to get down. Everybody else is grumbling. Yet something so drastic had occurred in Zacchaeus that despite the fact that he had gone to school and spent his career ripping people off and making money, now he's saying, you know what, I'm giving all that I half of what I have to the poor. If I've robbed, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay it back four times. Now, those weren't the things that were saving him. Those were the things that were the fruit of his being saved. Because we know the scripture that no one can do anything in order to save themselves. Zacchaeus didn't need to be in the crowd to be saved. He didn't need to go on and have a do this and that and the other to be saved. He didn't even go to the temple that we know of. Jesus changed his heart and he was saved. And this brings into account the things that the people in the crowd might have been saying. But what about us? Well, I mean, why can't I be saved? What do I got to do? And here comes some of the greatest tragedies that occur with people and the false ways of saving. Do you want to know seven of the most scary words in the world are? I've gone to church all my life. When I hear those words, I often cringe. And I'm one who's gone to church all my life. And the reason I say that is usually it's preceded by a question is of. Are you a Christian? Or tell me about your faith. And the first thing that comes out the mouth is I've gone to church all my life. I've gone to church all my life is one of the greatest idolatries in the world. Because no doing can save us just like no sitting in a tree can save us. I had a young person at Bible diggers just this week ask me this question. Pastor Jason. Will going to church save somebody? No. Going to church can be helpful. We we learn about Jesus. We hear about Jesus. Hopefully, if you've gone to church all your life, you've been hearing the gospel and you've been trained up in the word and you have that opportunity to 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 gaze at him. But at the end of the day, the going of what we do, that does not save us. And yet the answer to are you a Christian or do you have faith is I've gone to church all my life. In fact, one of the things I hear a lot about when somebody dies is I ask, were they a believer? And you know what their family will say? They've gone to church all their life. Now, you fast forward to the judgment day when Jesus says, why should I let you into my kingdom? And if anybody would say, I've gone to church all my life, what Jesus says is, I don't know you. It's not based on your merit of how many times you sat on the padded seat or even if they're hard, it doesn't matter. What matters is 
Have you had that intimate moment with Jesus when he came to your house? Or maybe he met you in that seat. Or maybe it was sitting on your tractor. Or maybe it was sitting with your parents. And there was that moment when Jesus came with the gospel where it said, Jesus hung on a cross in your place as a substitutionary sacrifice and died for you so that you wouldn't have to die. And you said, yes. Cleanse me, Lord, by everything that you have done. Yes. And in that moment came that great exchange where he took your death and he gave you his life. And you didn't have to go to church to earn it. And you don't have to go to church anymore in order to keep it. But to the young man at Bible Diggers, it was no going to church doesn't save you. But. Once you come to faith. You go and you keep learning about Jesus. You go and you continue to keep your eyes on him and you continue to not go into another place of not being intimate and not in friendship. It is always about Jesus. It is always about Jesus because there was Zacchaeus in the tree saying, I want to see him. I want to seek him. I want to seek him. And at the end of the story, did you recognize how things got turned? It's if for the son of man came to see, uh, seek and to save the lost. Who was the one seeking? Jesus was. Jesus was. And the opportunity for salvation isn't through actions and attributes and merit of ourselves to prop ourselves to a higher place in order to be at a place where we could be with Jesus. It's when he calls us to come low. The fancy word for that is humility. It's where we come to the place where we are so broken. There's no church attendance record. There's no tithing record. There's no grandma likes me record. There's no I've been to work on time every day of my life record. There's no I've always been kind to the kid who needs to be shown kindness record. There's nothing that we do. There's no amount of money that we could give away to the poor that makes me saved. But it's when he showed me I was a sinner and I was broken. When he looked at me, and even though he said Zacchaeus pure, I knew I was guilty. There was nothing I could do. I was completely exposed as being one who was not worthy of being in the presence of the king who's going to Jerusalem. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm completely humbled. And the Lord says, when you come to a place of humility and you're broken, then you're ready to be filled. Unless you be the least, you will not be lifted up. But with that effort, we're always trying to climb up. We're always trying. And you know what? It'll wear you out and kill you. And you may spend all your life going to church thinking that's what does it. Stand there on that day and have Jesus say, I never knew you. Wouldn't it be better for him to stand at your tree and say, dude, your name, put it in there. Jason. Katie. Ronald, Darlene, get out of the tree. Come low. I've been seeking you. You were lost. I found you. You didn't know what you were. You were 
You were ripping not only other people, you were ripping yourself off. You were living a lie. And I say, I've come to save you. And there's something in that message of I got to come low. It, it seems so satisfying. That's because it is. But there's also something in that message as we are told to come low and, and, and humble ourselves and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need your help. And it's only on what you've done that's really hard because our flesh will keep holding on. Our flesh has teeth and it bites on and it doesn't want to let go. I don't want to go low. How dare it? Say, I have to come low. And just the moment we think. I'm not going low. It's beneath me. Later on in this chapter, it says Jesus. As the king of the universe. Got on a donkey. And rode into Jerusalem as the humble king. He didn't come in flexing his. Universal almighty power. He came as the one who once sat on high, but still as the king of the universe went low and he was on that cross with my sin. And Philippians 2 told us that he emptied himself, not claiming the rights of God, but made himself a servant even unto death on a cross, which he did not deserve. But in that he would save us. And be resurrected and glorified on high. That every name would call upon the name of Jesus. Knowing that he is our everything. And we are nothing. Except when he fills us. Friends if you want saved. It's Jesus. And I pray that he uses this church to show you Jesus. I pray that he, you are not allowed to be robbed by religiousness. That you are saved by the one who's been seeking you. And when he calls you, you say with joy. I'm getting out of this tree. And I'm going to the one person who's told me they want to be with me. Some of you don't even know if the person sitting next to you likes you. Some of you are so lonely, you are dying for somebody to say, I want to be close with you. I want to hear all about you. I want to help you go to where you have never been able to go. I want to, I want to give you life in relationship. I want, to, I, want to be, I want to go through the hard times with you. I want to be in prayer with you. And if you're longing for that, the one person, the one person who will grant that to you is Jesus Christ. And it'll change the way in which you operate in the relationship with the person next to you, even if right now that's hard. That's why when he wrote to the Philippians. And we read this at the front, but I want to read it at the back of this service again. When he said Jesus, who emptied himself, that he became humble, he took on our form, he became obedient to the death. Just before that, this is what he said about the people around you, that it should change the way you operate. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests 
of others. See, when you come into contact with a God who said, this is not only about my interest, I have the interest of you in mind. I have the interest of you living forever with me in absolute paradise. And I have your interest. And so I'm going to give up my rights. I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to get down out of my throne and go take your cross so I can earn you. I can pay for you and I will bring you to myself. That is love, folks. If there is any love and it's all seen in Jesus, then you go and do love too. And you'll never be able to do that completely and love the person next to you and the person on the other side of the world that God may be bringing you in contact with later this week. That'll never happen completely until you get down out of the tree and humble yourself and say, Lord, have me. You want that relationship with me, Lord? You already know I'm a sinner. And now that I know it, I'm confessing my sin. Save me. Cleanse me. I want to be your friend. There's Zacchaeus. We see that change in him. A man whose heart was humbled and changed and filled with joy. And why all the crowd, all the religious folk outside said he hasn't been to church. A changed man stood up and said, you know what? I'm giving my money to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm paying it back four times as much. And I'm with this guy. His actions said, I'm with Jesus. And you know what Jesus' actions said? He leaves that place, gets on the donkey, rides into Jerusalem on the Sunday. Later on that same week, he's had an intimate with, meal with his disciples where he breaks bread and gives them wine and says, this is my body and this is my blood. And he showed it as a symbol, but then he still had to go on and do the reality. And he left that table whereby he was betrayed and arrested and unjustly accused. And he was whipped and flogged and mocked and beaten and spat on his clothes ripped off. And he carried his cross as far as he could go. But when he couldn't no further, they said, you still got to go. They had another carry his cross all the way up that hill. When they got there, they nailed him to the tree. And Jesus was leaving Lazarus. He was leaving for his execution. If his execution would not have happened, the promises that he made to Zacchaeus would have been void. The promises that he makes to you would have been void. But he did that because he loves you. That's how far he humbled himself. And so for us, he tells us, just surrender. Just surrender. You know, the Lord told me, you go preach Jesus. From the beginning and the end of unity. And the point was this. Not to fill all these seats. Not to perpetuate a pastoral career. The point was for Jesus to seek and save the lost. And I'm hoping people are saved today. I'm hoping that when people say, hey, are you a believer? They say, Jesus, save me. That's it. Well, how did you know that your loved one who passed away was a believer? Not that they went to church all their lives, but that at some point you heard from their lips and you saw in their actions that God saved them because Jesus changed them. 
We're doing this because Jesus wants to save us. And I believe there's more people that he wants to save through what's going on in and through your life. He's calling the Zacchaeuses in this place. Some church tradition says that Zacchaeus became the bishop of the church in Caesarea, which is on the coast of Israel. If that's true, he went from being an outcast tax collector who cheated all the people and some weirdo hanging out in a tree to a guy who was changed by Jesus and so in love with Jesus that he went and became what would essentially be the pastor of a city so that they would know about Jesus. That's going to be some of you. It makes me so happy. Some of the best ministers coming out this place are going to be the ones in Bible diggers who raise their hand and say, do I get saved by going to church or is there something else? And when they hear the gospel, they say, I want some of that. I want Jesus. And our youth are going to grow up and they're going to be pastors and they're going to be parents and they're going to be Sunday school teachers and they're going to lead Bible digger classes and they're going to be counselors at camp and they're going to, they're going to go on and they're going to be the Zacchaeuses that say, this isn't about me making money, this is about people knowing Jesus. I'm so excited. Because Jesus is coming soon. We're going to talk about that next week. And we need to hurry. There's people who need saved. And if that's you today, don't wait till next week to hear what's coming. Today, get out of your tree and say joyfully, okay, Jesus, have me. Save me. Here's my sin. I confess I'm a sinner. Save me. Forgive me. Boom. And if you've been trapped in the trappings of just doing, 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 give that to the Lord. You know what's refreshing? Is when the Lord says, I got some stuff for you to do. I'm going to do it through you. It's my strength. It's me. I've given you my spirit, so let's go. That is the best way to do it. So maybe you need that today. You just need that friendship with Jesus. He's going to change your heart so it'll change the way you do things. It'll change the relationships around you. And today, you just need to surrender and come low. And that happens on the first day that you meet Jesus. And it needs to happen every day for the rest of our lives. The biggest thing the Lord has to get us on is come Low, be humble. I'll close with this. Right now in our world, there's a real fight for who can be the greatest. It's on every television show if you want to be the bachelor at or whatever that is, if you want to be America's idol, if you want to be the world's greatest, if you want to be Super Bowl champion, it's always trying to be the greatest. And Jesus said, the greatest human being that was ever born of a woman that's ever lived was John the Baptist. And do you know what the description of John the Baptist, you know what the words that were that came out of John the Baptist's mouth that made him so great? He said, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. That's the key. You want to be great? Decrease. Humility. And let Jesus be your everything. You think, well, then I'll be robbed. I'll be robbed of joy. I'll be robbed, robbed of fulfillment. No. Look what happened to Zacchaeus, full of joy, full, full of things to do, full of opportunity to love on people, full of Jesus. You want to be great? Decrease. and Let Jesus increase. We're going to close in a song, and as we sing, we could be churchy and sing. 
What I'm praying is that the Holy Spirit of God by the word of Jesus is coming and pulling people to himself. For some of you, that may pull you up front. This isn't a magical area. This is where Jesus can meet people. And if you bow your head in prayer, that's a, not a magical position. That's a place where Jesus can meet people. What he's asking is that our hearts, wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, is that we would decrease, he would increase. That just says, Jesus, I surrender. Take me, save me. I want to be with you. So as I pray, we'll, we'll get ready to sing this song and, and uh, offer ourselves to the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for knowing since before the creation of the world that you were going to have to save us and you put a whole plan in place, not for us by our own efforts to save ourselves. We saw through all the scriptures with Abraham, Moses, even Rahab the prostitute and Zacchaeus, the tax collector, that it was nothing that they did that saved themselves, but you always demanded it was by faith. And then by faith it would be made sons of Abraham sons of the promise, that by Jesus we are saved. And so, Lord, would you bring faith this morning for those who may be struggling to to just cross that line, Lord, I pray that you would tug them, that you would pull them by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would change their hearts right now, that you would make a new man, a new woman, that the old has gone and the new has come, and it's all been the work of Jesus and his seeking and his saving the lost. So, Lord, I pray right now, if there be anybody who would like to be saved, that right now, that on their lips, reflecting the heart, that they would say, Lord, save me. And Father, we pray for we who have been in the church and you've blessed in so many ways by learning about Jesus and worshiping Jesus and ministering for Jesus' name. But, Lord, I pray that you would protect us from ourselves. But I pray that you would protect us from the world and anything that might become an idol in our way, which is usually just ourselves and us in pride trying to be great. But I pray that you would humble us. You have said that if if we want revival, that we must be a people of repentance. That we would humble ourselves and pray and then you would heal us. And so, Lord, we we confess to you that we are a sinful people. And we ask that you again would be lifted up on high as our king and that we would celebrate you and worship you and pronounce you through our words and through our actions because of what you have done in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would decrease and you would increase. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. As we sing, as you're praying in your hearts, if you would like to just say that simple prayer, Lord, save me. You're welcome to come to the front. You're welcome to pray you're at. I'd love to pray with you. One of the deacons would love to pray with you or maybe the person next to you. But go to Jesus if he needs to. He might be calling you out of that tree and come joyfully to him today.